Welcome to the Stronger Business Podcast, where we discover how to get stronger together. What is up, entrepreneurs and business owners? Welcome back to the Stronger Business Podcast. This is going to be a really exciting and super interesting podcast today. We've got a founder, a CEO, multiple different avenues of businesses going on, kind of under the same umbrella or in the same type of business model and industry. Um, It was a problem that she was looking for a solution for that turned into a business that's now turned into multiple businesses. She's an author. She's a podcast expert, a business builder, an entrepreneur, a business owner, all the things. Jenny Rushmore, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Today's going to be fun. I'm excited to learn more and just you have a lot of stuff going on and you are steady just taking more stuff on your plate in a time where all of us as business owners have way more to do when we have time. You're figuring this thing out. And so congrats, first of all, to everything. I just want to run through. We've got the, okay, I'm going to try to get this right. I may need correcting. I've got the. <laughs> Cashmeret Patterns. Did I say that right? Yep. Cashmeret's the main business. Cashmeret Patterns. We've got the Cashmeret Club, which is a membership mm-hmm. type um, business there that you have. We have the Curvy Sewing Collective, uh, which is something that that was part of. You had a blog originally and then it turned in all these different aspects of business. Mm-hmm. And then we have something new. We have the My Body Model, which was an acquisition you brought in the what you're doing there. So you have a lot going on and you're continuing to grow and scale and stay super excited about what you do and how you do it. But that wasn't always the case. How did you get here and how did you end up in being an entrepreneur and a business owner? Sure. So um, it's sort of funny because it's both in some ways really predetermined and in other ways it was very spontaneous. So <laughs> I grew up in a family where my parents were entrepreneurs. And um, so to me, it was a very normal thing. They didn't have MBAs. In fact, there's just one couple of years of community college between the two of them. And I kind of grew up in this environment where it was like, anyone can be an entrepreneur. And also you should do it as soon as you can. Like, don't work for the man, like work for yourself. So I always had at the back of my head that this is something that I wanted to do. Um, But initially I went into corporate life. So um, I worked for one of the biggest companies in the world for over a decade. Then I moved into an e-commerce business and I was working on general business and marketing, always at the back of my head thinking, but I would love to set up my own business when I can. But the key thing for me is that I wanted it to be something that I personally cared about. So I wanted a mission-driven company. And I had seen opportunities in the past where I thought, "Mm, I think you could make some money over there, but I didn't care about the topic very much. And I knew that I wanted to do something like very personal to me. And so in 2010, when I was 30, I learned how to sew just as a hobby. I've always been creative. I thought, well, I'll learn how to sew. And instantly I was very taken with it. And I realized pretty quickly, like, goodness, this could actually have like a really big impact on my life. And the reason is I'm plus size, have been since, I don't even know, it's probably 16, like a size 14, 16. And I really, really struggled to find clothes. And I also have a big bust. It was very, very difficult, even if I could find my clothes size to fit something that would like fit my boobs to just be totally straightforward about it. 
And all of a sudden, when I started sewing, I thought, oh, hold on, I can actually like make clothes that fit me. And it was a struggle because the sewing patterns didn't come in my size either. But unlike clothes in stores, you can change sewing patterns to fit your body. You can learn how to do it. And when I did, it was it was truly this life-changing moment. I mean, more, more than I could have imagined at the time. But I had this big realization that I could change my clothes to fit my body instead of changing my body to fit my clothes. So I think like most women, most people maybe, you know, we live in a society that's incredibly focused on make your body smaller, right? Like this is just, you're surrounded by it all the time. Like you should be thin, be a small person. And I had, you know, to some extent bought into that because I thought, well, if I want to look nice, I'm going to have to I'm gonna have nice clothes. I'll have to make my body smaller, which is extremely difficult. Anyone who's tried to do that knows that's extremely difficult. But you know, what's actually easier is making clothes that just fit your body. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, my style, the style opportunities to me, like just went through the roof. I didn't have to try things on that didn't fit me anymore. And I started to blog about it. And the long story short, my blog got really popular. And I reached a point where I was like, I have like a hundred thousand readers reading this blog all about sewing. If you've got a curvy figure, I wonder if this is the entrepreneurial thing that I've been looking for. Um, because there's this massive gap in the market because I, as like a size roughly 14, I was the biggest size in any sewing pattern, despite the fact that the average American woman is a size 16. So they weren't even hitting the average size of a woman. And they were also made for a B cup. And the average American woman is a double D cup. And I literally sat there going, why is nobody catering to not just a niche, but the majority of the market? It's this bizarre situation where the majority of the market is plus size. And yet the majority of retail doesn't meet those needs at all. And so that was the beginning of it. I was like, I'm going to be the person who's going to step in and represent the vast majority of women who are in fact plus size in the sewing community and help them realize that they also don't have to change their body. They can just change their clothes. That is amazing. And I didn't realize the average of what's happening there. I agree. I thought it was like a niche, you know, department you were, you were going after there. I didn't know that's the market doesn't match the demand. There's a huge gap there and you were able to see that it's, it's interesting. I love the mission-driven approach. Um, just to be frank, it's completely opposite from everything I've done as an entrepreneur for 25 years. I'm obviously a numbers guy in what I do, but things would start out as a hobby or things would start out as something that I see. And I'm like, I think I can make money at this. So let's start, let's make a business out of it. Or, mm-hmm. hey, let's go over here. I don't even care if that's what I want to do. I can make money doing this or I can build this business over. And so you had a completely opposite and way more sensible approach uh, than I did in my early entrepreneur days is you're like, I want to be a business owner, entrepreneur, but I want to wait and be patient and find, so I can do some things. I can make some money at some stuff, but I want to be mission driven. And I love that. And it's, we all have ended up in the path that the successful for all of us, we've took different ways, but I, I think your way is, way smarter and more sustainable because it took me, it truly took me 22 years to grow out of the mindset of where business was to make money, not 
serve me as an owner and serve in a mission driven way. And so it, it just makes things a lot funner and a lot better. It's super, super cool. Um, so when you were first getting into this and thinking, okay, I've got a lot of followers and subscribers, was this going, is this say, Hey, I think I can do some e-commerce stuff, or I think I can make an extra two grand a month, or I'm going to do this and I'm going to quit my job. What was your mindset at that point? So there was there was sort of this one in-between step, which is that I set up this website called the Curvy Sewing Collective with a few other plus-size bloggers. And it was sort of proof of concept because the day we launched, we had six-figure visitors to our website. The day we launched, it was unbelievable um, because there was the majority of people weren't having their needs met, right? And they were so sick of only ever seeing people who didn't look like them and so on. And um, after a few months of doing that, it really validated for me, like, there's a huge, huge market in inverted commas. Now, obviously, you don't go into the sewing pattern market to make your billions. Like, it's a much bigger market than people think. And it has rejuvenated in the last 15 years, like a lot, because the craft industry, like knitting, cooking, like there have been all these, these, like, overlooked areas that become like much more popular again, and much, much, especially among younger people. But it kind of validated it. So I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to do a sewing pattern and I'm going to see what happens. Now, as it happened, I also was increasingly not enjoying my day job. So I started working on it um, in October 2014. That's when I started like, okay, we'll develop it. Six months later, I quit my job. And then six months later, we launched our first product. Um, And it's interesting because... I wasn't doing this intentionally, but I now know in retrospect that I was almost following this like ideal of content marketing because I'd been blogging for five years by then. I had super deep SEO. I had super long tail SEO. I mean, if you, there are all these search terms for whom you will find me at the very top. And also I had the same name for my blog as my business. So if you typed in Cashmeret onto Google, I'm the first like 10 pages before you see anything that isn't relevant. And so the big difference compared to a lot of people is the day I launched, I already had all these followers and I had people who were interested in something I might I might sell because I'd already been established in the public mind as like someone who knows about these topics. And I'd also been campaigning. So I'd been doing a bunch of like industry campaigning to encourage other brands to expand their size range to in the long term, actually made a lot of progress in that. But at this point, I hadn't. And so I was like, you know what? I couldn't convince anyone else to do it. I'm doing it. And the funny thing is, is that the first product that we launched, which was this one dress, is still one of our best-selling patterns, um, which is kind of funny. So yeah, so we did that in October 2015. And we were flow positive in nine months, which was great. Um, The investment was very minimal. I've never had investors or a bank loan or anything. It's like entirely bootstrapped, just took the money we had, put it back in the company. Um, But yeah, like we we were kind of almost instantly profitable effectively. Um, Yeah, and then it's gone from there. Like we're in a very different position now than we were in 2015, um, but that's how it started. That's amazing. And it's interesting you bring that up about the blogging and SEO. I told Elizabeth this earlier when we were talking before the podcast, I was like, I went to, and obviously, you know, with you and client and what we do, I kind of know a little bit about the business and a little bit about you, but I'm doing research, like 
I went to type in your name in Google and it like finished it for me. And I was like, <laughs> I think Jenny's a really big deal. And it's, it, it really was like Google. That's all you see is like, Duh. and I didn't realize all of the five years worth of pre launch blogging yeah. and words and keywords and things you'd been doing yeah. and, and traction you built. Cause it, it truly, I mean, shows up as like you own that, yeah. space of any of that the thing stuff is it was in. truly organic like i did not start the blog i mean when i started the blog i literally <laughs> showed the first thing i'd ever sewn a pillowcase it didn't cross my mind that this would be my business in that five is... years time like that would never have crossed my mind so as i said like it looks in retrospect like oh you followed the playbook i didn't i happened to do it but as it turns out, yes, it's a great it's like way the, to build an audience. The ultimate like long game genius is like, yeah, it's amazing. That's uh, that's really cool. So, all right, so the business is just starting. You are profitable really fast, which is especially in this type of industry is not very common. So, that's amazing. Uh, at that point, was it still? I'm just going to do this and love what I do and be very mission driven and and see where it goes. Or at some point, did you switch and say, okay, now? I need to do goals and projections yeah. and financial forecast. And I need to, I'm going to be a millionaire, billionaire. Yeah. What <laughs> did the, did you always stay true to that mindset of just let's see where it goes? Or did you flip and change at some point in the yeah. past? Yeah. So there've definitely been phases. So when I first launched, you no, know, I had a great corporate career. I was doing very well, making decent money. Um, and it was obviously a big decision to quit, to do something. And, and uh, the thing is, there's no market information available about the sewing market. Like I had no idea, like how much money is anyone making? Like no idea. So I gave myself two years. I said, if in two years I'm not making enough, at least to cover like the majority of my bills, then I will give up and do something else. So I was already doing fine before two years. Um, but to be perfectly honest, like for the first five years, it was doing fine. I mean, I think a lot better than a lot of small businesses that are coming from scratch. And I had a few employees, but my employees were earning more money than me. I was not on my own payroll. You know, I was just an LLC and took the profit, but the profit was not great. You know, like marginal tax, put it that way. Um, but the whole time I kind of had this sense, like I, I, I still feel like this can be bigger. It can be something. And the whole time I will say I'm very much in the lifestyle company like world. So what I mean is like, sure. Would I love to have like a really comfortable lifestyle? Absolutely. But am I trying to make this into like a hundred million to sell it? No, like never, that's never been the goal. So I, um, actually set myself the somewhat modest goal. I would say, um, of if I could make a hundred thousand dollars after tax, partly because of my personal situation, I'd already paid off my mortgage and everything. If I can make $100,000, I will have succeeded and this will be sustainable. Um, I'm also a single parent, no co-parent. So I was like, it's very flexible. My lifestyle right now, I can do whatever I want. I can travel to and from the UK and the US, which is what we do. Like I want to make this work, but I I have to be hitting six figures. Like I I can't go on forever earning less than that. And the funny thing is, is um, it was this massive leapfrog of that goal. So there was never a year where I made a hundred thousand. There was a year when I made a lot less. And then suddenly a year when I made like many multiple times more than that. Um, and basically what happened is, you know, we were continuing to grow the business, had very good fundamentals. So 
incredibly passionate audience who are so emotionally involved in what we do. Um, we regularly get emails from people saying that you literally changed my life because in some cases, some people's like body image is like totally turned around from involvement through our books and our clubs and um, the patterns and so on. So we had this incredibly strong base, but just weren't growing enough um, to really like, you know, make a change, you know, it was just like very modest growth. And so I spent quite a long time trying to think about what do we need to do? And fundamentally what I decided is let's try a membership program and see. And my logic was, you know, you read about, you know, recurring revenue is a great idea. And also like, I know I have all these passionate followers and they want more of us. Like that's what they would always ask. I want more, 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 more. I want more patterns. I want more Jenny. I want more of all of this stuff. But on the, what I didn't want to do is massively expand my um, employee base. So I only have two full-time employees and then contractors. And I also didn't want to turn into like a hectic company. Put it this way. No one in my company works more than 40 hours and it is not high stress. We, we don't, I don't run a high stress operation and I didn't want to move to a high stress operation. I actually work less than 40 hours almost all the time, but I was like, no, I, I want it to still be nice. So we did huge amounts of planning and we figured out that if we could prepare the content for our membership program, our monthly membership from like six months out, we could reach a point where there's no last minute we have to stay up all night because we already finished July back in January. So uh, last year in February, we launched our subscription program. Um, and, you know, you were asking about, did you do financial projections and stuff? I mean, I did, but I always used to feel like it was like, mickey mouse stuff i'm like what does this even mean i'm just guessing like i don't know so i made this um forecast and i'm like okay in the absolute stretch it's impossible to imagine we would hit here here was the number and i if, if i'm if i recall we made more than our estimate for the year in the first month oh my god it was insane we had no idea how big it would get and so it has become the majority of our business. Within a few months, it became the majority of our business. Um, and the interesting thing is that um, it's not the recurring revenue is not the key thing for us because the vast majority of people are signing on for a year at a time. So it's not that they're signing up for monthly, they're signing up for our highest level benefit. Um, and they love it. And we have a 90% retention rate, which... Again, I can't quite believe. That's and unheard it, of. And it in totally that. changed the business. It totally changed the business because um, it 8x our profit in one year. Jeannie, congratulations. <laughs> that is amazing. And God, there's so many things I want to dive back into there. First off, I want to say your story. I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years. I've owned lots of different businesses, but my career in education, I've always been in the tax world and always handled business owners. So I've got the luxury of seeing hundreds of business owners a year as financials and tax returns and behind the scenes of helping plan and do things. And your story is by far the most common. I think so many people do not understand this about entrepreneurs and business owners. They think, oh, you own your own business. You set your own schedule. You work when you want to. You make tons of money and all goes into your pocket. Most everybody I know at different points in years in their business, they are the lowest paid person in yeah. the business. Like I think it's so common that as the business owner, like we make less than all the employees at different times um, and, and sometimes do it for long periods of time. So I, I think that is something that 
people don't understand about being a small business owner is it it takes a lot of capital staying in the business and it takes a lot of investing in the business and in the people, which means there's a lot of sacrifice by the business owner. Not always the case, but usually so. Um, and I love the the way you, you've continued to pivot and, and do things. And this is a common theme for me with podcast guests over the past two months. Um, we made a decision here at our tax firm, um, Zach and I, we wanted that work-life balance and we just we just don't like managing people we we really in in the work environment of our expertise and what we're the best at and trying to train and manage and hold accountable and all the thing we we love what we do way more than we love managing people and so we're like we don't want to scale we don't want to have a bunch of employees we don't we don't want more clients let's let's put the brakes on and let's go against what you see on Instagram and what all the push is to grow and scale and do all this. And like, let's just love what we do and keep that less than 40 hour a week balance and love our clients and serve at a high level. And it'd be five of us, you know, there's, and so I feel like since we have made that decision and the more and more conversations I'm having entrepreneurs and business owners, that's the most common theme here lately is like, enjoying what you have, not trying to sell or grow something to a certain size. And I, I love that. Um, I, and, and you talking about the subscription model um, and the, you've been so smart in the way you and your team has approached this. I think this is something for our audience to hear because I just learned something on my end. Um, just kind of recapping what you said that six months of planning, like my, I love teaching. I love sharing content. I have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge in business and tax and accounting and running your finances for your solopreneur business or your small business. But what's kept me away from those subscription models or courses or workshops or boot camps is like, I just don't want to get on a Zoom from 5 to 7 p.m. every week, or I don't want to have to show up for something every week with this membership. But from what you've done, y'all put in planning and put in six months of work so you don't have to show up and like have those things to figure out at the last minute. I love it. That's super smart. So I just hats off to everything you've done here. It's amazing. When when you're looking back right now, has this journey been way more fun and way easier than you dreamed? Has it been about what you expected? How does this how does reality compare to 2015 Jenny? I mean, it's sort of funny because I, because I was doing something new and because, as I said, I didn't really know the size of the market, I was kind of jumping off a cliff and not really knowing what was going to happen. Um, you know, I was very fortunate that I was already financially secure because of my 15 years working corporately and I'd been pretty prudent with my money before that. And so I knew it was a risk. In my mind, I thought of it like almost like doing an MBA. I didn't do an MBA. And I'm like, instead of paying 150 grand to do an MBA, I'm going to learn the same amount, but maybe earn 150 grand. Um, <laughs> seems like yes. maybe a better idea. And I also figured, you know, if it doesn't work out, especially in the US, I think that there's, you know, a valorization of entrepreneurship. So if I turn around and say, oh, hi, well, I ran my own business for two years and I set up a brand and I did the marketing and supply chain. And now I'm going back into corporate. Like they'd be like, okay, great. You know, like it wouldn't be like throw you out. Like you were an unsuccessful entrepreneur. So I didn't have like a really strong idea, but what I would say now is like, 
it could not suit me more. Like I am born to do this kind of work. Um, I have ADHD and it's perfect for that. Apparently one of the most common job types for ADHD people is entrepreneur because there's so many different things I do. I can constantly change topic. I manage my own energy. I manage my own hours. If it's a sunny day, I don't necessarily work. Um, and I have all this flexibility. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really great. And it's a great lifestyle. I, for the first couple of years, I was in the situation of going, well, it's a great lifestyle and everyone would do it. Wouldn't they? only if you earn enough money, like if you don't earn enough money, then, you know, it's a bit meaningless. Um, but now I've got to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, I, I won't have to go and get a regular job again at this point. Um, but to what you were saying about what you're doing in your business too, the one thing that was a bit of a turning point for me is that a few years ago, I went to a conference for craft business owners. And there was this woman, Emily McDowell, who's fairly well known in, um, the world of like stationary and she was on TV a lot because some of her products did incredibly well. And she sort of tells her story as a cautionary tale because she became incredibly successful. Her business became incredibly successful, incredibly quickly, but she found herself in a position where she absolutely hated what she was doing on a day-to-day -day basis. She hated it. She's like, I didn't go into, I went into business because I love doing these greetings cards and this lettering and coming up with ideas and whatever. I don't want to be negotiating to get tote bags out of customs at LAX. Like, I don't want to be figuring out the health insurance benefits for someone who's part-time, but they live in Missouri. Like, that isn't what excites me. That's not what I want to do. But because my business is so big, that's what I have to do. And she had a couple of pieces of advice that I really, really took to heart. Um, the first one is, just because you can make it bigger doesn't mean you have to. So yes, maybe, you know, especially if you're A-type and especially if you always did very well academically, there's this sense of like, well, shoot for the moon, right? Like if you can get into Harvard, you should go to Harvard. Or if you could make your business a hundred million dollars, you should make it because, you know, be as big as you can. And she was like, you don't have to, you know, you can decide that that isn't what you want to do. Like it's not inherent that constantly growing and getting bigger at like a wild rate is the key thing, like maybe you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. So that was the first one. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. And then the second thing she said is to think about what you want your daily life to look like. So it's not so much about, you know, if my business is successful, I'm going to buy a yacht, you know, like the things you're going to, like the things you're going to acquire. It's more like, what time would I like to wake up in the morning? Do I want to be around people or not around people? How much stress can I tolerate? Um, how often do I want to be able to go on vacation? How much do I want my job to be interacting with people versus like doing thinking work or creative work? And she's like, you're a business owner. You get to decide like, what do you want your life to be like? And then you reverse engineer what you're going to do to that. So I know, for instance, as a single parent, I can't be doing lots of traveling. Could I grow my business in a different way if I was willing to jump on planes all the time? Yeah. And if I didn't have a kid, I probably would because I would really enjoy that. But I can't. So I've developed my business so that I don't have to do that. I've developed my business so that I can easily pick my kid up if she's sick. And so that I'm not working late hours because, you know, we're struggling to get things done. Um, my two employees are also mums of relatively small children. And again, it's the same for them. Like it's an environment I've created this environment that's like extremely like amenable to like working mothers. And for me, like 
that's success. You know, like, no, I'm not going and raising venture capital. And I don't know if I'll ever sell my business, but even if I do, like, I mean, I don't even think about it because it's just not on my horizon. Like I really, really enjoy doing it. So yeah, I want to continue doing it. So for me, you know, hearing Emily talk about those things really changed kind of how I thought about the business and how I how I structured it. Yeah, that is one of the smartest things I have ever heard anybody say. And one of the most brilliant things that's ever been shared on this podcast. Uh, what do you want your day to look like? I feel like as business owners, we get, and I am guilty as anybody, we get so wrapped up. And like you said, I want to, I want to buy a yacht or I want to make a hundred thousand dollars this year, or I want to get a bigger office or I want to have 10 employees or, but we don't break out what are the goals of what we want our day to look like? What time do you want to wake up? I mean, you nailed all of the things. Like, what do you, do you want to see people? Do you not want to see people? Do you want to deal with emails for two hours? Do you not? And so interestingly enough, like for me, I didn't think about that's what I was doing, but I kind of built my calendar out to reflect that. I'm like, I don't want to work on Mondays or see, I don't want to see clients on Mondays. Mondays are chaotic. Let's take all appointments off on Mondays and let's work on the business stuff. And I really don't want to take appointments past 3.30 every day because I want to go home early on some days and I need some time to catch up on phone calls. But where I screwed that up, my actions and how I was growing the business didn't reflect the schedule that I wanted. I built the schedule in Outlook and in my calendar, but I kept taking things on or saying yes to other things that couldn't fit in what I had left. And so I got into kind of a friction point. And so I love that. This this is truly like an exercise I'm going to go do today is like, yeah. let me just back into the steps of what I want my day to look like. And then now let's make the business decisions reflect that. God, it's brilliant. I think, I, think it, I think it's also very life stage dependent. You know, like if I had done this at 26, I'm 43. Sure. If I'd done this at 26, I would have taken really different approaches and probably much more aggressive, much more risky, working much more, like aggressively growing much more. But now I'm like, I'm 43. I have an almost five-year-old. Like I have certain needs now and I'm going to build my business to meet those needs, frankly, um, which is maybe, you know, not the most ambitious like thing to decide, but it's within parameters. You know, the business has grown a huge amount within the parameters I set. We just had to do a lot of thinking. Um, I just, my second book, Sewing the Curve just came out. And that was another one where it was like, okay, yes. You know, my first book um, was sort of a surprise hit for my publisher. So they really wanted me to do a second one. And I was like, okay, but what's that going to look like? Because I cannot do that on top of my current job. Like that's not going to work. So again, it was a, it was a big decision about what not to do. Um, there's a really great book, um, that I read recently called, oh, I want to say 10, is it 10,000 weeks? I think it's 10,000 weeks. Mm. And it's a book all about, um, theoretically time management, but it's actually not about time management. It's kind of his point. His point is, and it's so relevant for entrepreneurs is, that you never, ever, ever reach the end of anything, okay? So whatever it is you want to do, the amount of work you have to do is infinite. It doesn't matter. And also, the more you do, the more you create. So if you answer every email, you will generate more emails, right? Yes, then I, lose, I lose ground some days. Then they it, come, yeah, they then come if you in didn't faster than I can get them out, yeah. And so... What, and, and the other thing is, is, you know, we tend to always prioritize the most urgent thing, right? Understandably. 
So his two big pieces of advice, and I think to some extent I was already doing this, but on the other hand, I was like, okay, this is really, really helpful. And I have a very specific example of it, actually. The one is um, you have to make really big decisions about what you're not doing all the time. So you have to keep on deciding, I'm not doing that. And he's like, things that you want to do, but be like, I'm not doing that. Because if I do that, I can't do the most important things to me. And so he's like, it's important to constantly be reviewing what you're not going to do. And in my case, you know, it's often things that will grow the business, but it's like, you know, I don't know, I'd love to have a podcast in the business, but it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like that isn't the priority. I'm going to deliberately decide not to do that. The second thing that he said is, for most of us, you know, we have the things that matter the most to us in life and like really motivate us and like, you know, fill your bucket and whatever. And it's incredibly common to never get to that because you try and do everything else in the day. And then if by 4.45, you're like, oh, well, I have to pick up my kid in 25 minutes, I'll do it. You don't do it, you know? And so he basically said, and it's a little bit similar to the advice on the other one, actually, is figure out the thing you really want to do and make it work around that. So if your goal is like, if your life ambition has been to write a novel, then you need to like figure that out first. Now there's a lot of privilege in this, right? If you work in like a manufacturing plant, you don't get to make some of these decisions, but for people like us, like you really can. So for me, before I had my daughter, um, I did a lot of artistic stuff. And for me, that really like fills my cup, right? Like it's much better than like zoning out in front of the TV or scrolling on my phone. I just did lots of artistic things. But since she was born, it, you know, it's difficult to run a business by yourself and have a kid by yourself. Like it's not the easiest thing. But I read this book and I was like, you know what? I'm really suffering from not doing those things. And I'm too tired at 8 p.m. And so literally I very deliberately looked and I found this art class and it's every Wednesday morning and it's an hour away from where I live. So it's the whole morning. And I was like, you know what? Cashmere has to work around this now. Like, yes. it's just the thing. Cashmere has to work around it. But I'm going to do this art class because I know this three hours is so good for me. Plus, what's the point of being an entrepreneur if you can't take an art class in the middle of the day? It's my feeling. Um, but also, you know, we can manage around it. So maybe previously something happened there. Okay, well, that thing's now not going to happen or we reprioritize it or we figure out around it. So for me, again, like, sort of realizing you're in control like that's the amazing thing about being an entrepreneur right you're in control of it and just making the most of it yeah, but it's so easy god it's so freaking easy to let it control you mm -hmm. and, and i think the financial side pushes us there or the growing or scaling side because i think most businesses like the fundamentals it's really easy to let the business control you instead of you're right we it's our business. We get to make the decisions. We and it is different. It. I think if you have external funding, to be fair, it is a bit different. So one of my true. brothers runs a company that has large VC funding. So yeah. it would be harder for him to say, okay, I do an art class on Wednesday mornings. But, you know, I'm a small business. And for the most part, other small businesses I know, we're in a slightly different situation where, you know, we're inter we internally fund. Um, and so, yeah. That's, it, that's the benefit of it, right? 100%. And, and I think you nailed it saying there's always more to do. It's, in, yeah. it's it, infinite, it's just an endless amount of work or, or I always tell people I'm for the last 15 years, I've been 40 hours behind. Like there is no catching up yeah. or no, like go home today. It's all done. Like there's things to make better. There's emails to check. There's stuff to add or do or adapt, um, which is awesome. I think that fuels us. But then it's also, it can be crippling if we're not careful, but just understanding that and saying, you know what, there's always going to be more work to do than I can ever get done. That's a good problem to have. Let me, let me build in the time to 
do what I want and have that freedom and let the business adjust. Especially, I mean, you're you're 43 with a five year old. I'm 43 with a five month old all of a sudden. So we have a whole new life of uh, work life balance and priority and just changes things. <laughs> so, and, and I, I'm already seeing like I have a whole new respect and understanding for people that have built businesses in the early stages with with babies or kids or newborns or multiple kids. Like it's Jesus, it's hard, way harder than I ever understood or realized or or had empathy for because it's. I have an established business and things are pretty dialed in and Jesus, it's a struggle um, with that. So I, I can't imagine, but it, it is, it's a, uh, I think for everybody out there, just understanding it's, it's your business and you get to make the decisions. You don't have to let it control you. We could talk about this for hours. Like, there's so much more to dive into and you're golly, this is so many light bulb moments today and things to think about. Um, but we're wrapping up the end of the episode, and this is where we really get to bring out what you want to leave the audience with today, the max out moment, the part of the podcast, where if you can share any tactic, tip, piece of advice, what's Jenny's max out moment on the Stronger Business Podcast? So I think my business is based on this like core approach, which I learned at Procter & Gamble when I worked there for a long time. And I just think it's sort of the fundamental truth of the kind of businesses I'm in, which is if you can find an unmet need in a customer group and you can deeply, deeply understand it and you can meet that need, then you will have a successful business. And that's what happened with me. Like I identified this unmet need in a reasonably sizable population and just relentlessly focus on meeting that need. I haven't expanded outside of it, really. Everything I've done has just consistently focused on that. Um, at pre and G, they call it consumer is boss. It's ungrammatical, but it makes sense. And it's basically like the consumer should be at the center of everything you do because you know, you're know you almost guaranteed to do well. When people say, I have this problem, no one's solving this problem. And you come along and say, hey, I have solved this for you. Um, in my case, I am part of that customer group. And that really helped. And I think it's helped with it being mission-driven for me and also helped me be a very credible kind of like face of it because people really appreciate and they can tell that I too experience what they experience. And so, you know, it's a very credible thing. But I, th and I think it also leads to like, a really strong emotional connection with your audience when they're frustrated by something and you're able to meet that need. So I think, you know, if you're starting a new business, that's always where I would start. And I think if you have an existing business and you're not quite sure, it's a really good thing to consider because it may lead you to actually be able to get a lot more growth if you sort of reconceptualize it in that way. Oh, I love that so much. And an amazing max out moment. It's find a demand or a market or an unmet need. And then the, the biggest thing, I think the hardest thing for us entrepreneurs is stay in that. You've identified it's an unmet need in a market that that needs servicing. There's demand there, but we're quick to jump off over here or like go down this path. And so, God, that's, that's such awesome advice. I love that. This has been amazing. So awesome. Where do people find you at? Where do they connect? where they do business with you, where they buy the book, give me all the things of where our audience can, can touch base and follow you more. Sure. So we're pretty much everywhere as Cashmaret, which is C-A-S-H 
M-E-R-E-T-T-E. So our website's at cashmeret.com. We're big on Instagram and at cashmeret. Um, you can buy both my books ahead of the curve and sewing the curve on the cashmeret website, but also on Amazon and where all booksellers are. Um, I have mybodymodel.com too, which is a really cool app where you can uh, create like an outline, a custom outline of your body for fashion design and for sewing design. Yeah, but really just type Kashmir into the internet. We're all over there. We still got the good SEO. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, just start to begin to type any of this in Google and you'll pop up like yeah. everywhere. <laughs> Pictures, videos, podcasts, blogs, websites, Instagram pages. It's awesome. Jenny, you are an amazing entrepreneur and business owner. I'm inspired. You've taught me a lot today. This is huge for our audience. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I'm excited to continue to connect with you in the future. Um, for all of our audience, go follow Jenny, check stuff out, do business with her, read the books. Um, so much good wisdom and advice today. Uh, share this with anybody out there um, you think uh, that'll help from a business owner entrepreneur standpoint. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Stronger Business Podcast. We're excited to come to you again next week with more tools and tactics to help you get stronger in your business and in your life. Check us out on Instagram at Stronger Business or follow us uh, on our website at StrongerBusiness.com. Have an awesome rest of your day and we'll see you next week.